What's up, Flatirons? How are we doing this morning? Hey, uh, it is so good to be here with you. I want to say hey to everybody at our uh, campuses as well, especially the gentlemen there at God Behind Bars. You're our family. We're so glad that you're with us today. So love what's happening. We've got updates about what God's doing at God Behind Bars coming up in the next few weeks. So be on the lookout for that. I tell you, uh, I, I, I just love being a part of this church. I love Flatirons. Uh, when, when we moved our family out here seven years ago, it was for what God's doing in this place, and it has just not disappointed us. I, I love this place. I love the people I get to work with. I love being a pastor. I love living in Colorado. I mean, like all these good things. There's really just one part of my job that I'm not crazy about, and uh, it, it's... It's when I'm at like a social function that's not work-related or like a, a party that my friends throw and um, I'm talking with people I don't know and they ask me what I do for work. And at that point, and, and some of you guys know this because like before you came to church, you, you were these people, you were having these interactions. And I, the, the moment I say I'm a pastor, the conversation completely changes, all right? It just, it just changes and maybe you observe this. Like they... When I have this conversation with people, inevitably, like, they take a step back like I've gotten a disease. I don't know what's, what's going on with it. And they say this. They go, oh, that, that's nice. That's nice. And when, when you say nice, high-pitched like that, I know you don't mean it, okay? <laughs> like, it's like when you find out your new coworker is a Raiders fan. You're like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. But you don't really mean it. And, like, I'm, I'm having these conversations with people, and they... They, they, they start to like think really hard about everything that they're saying because they're like, how would I relate to a pastor? What's the language that pastors speak, you know? It's just different. And so they start saying the word blessed a lot more often than they were earlier. <laughs> like they, one out of like every three or four times, they'll ask about our parishioners. And like I had not heard that word used until I was talking with one of these people and I had to go look it up. And the parishioners are actually you all, like people who are a part of a church are parishioners. So if you didn't, don't learn anything for the rest of today, you learn what parishioners are. And then it, the conversation always gets around to, um, they'll ask this question, and it's like they've wanted to know this for a long time. They're like, well, since you only work on Sundays, what do you do the rest of the week? <laughs> and so I, I'm trying to like explain it. And my wife has watched me in these interactions before, and she's like, you know that whenever you like tell people that you're a pastor, you say it like it's gonna be a disappointment. You're like, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, I know, I know I do that because it always changes the conversation because they're always disappointed to find out like, oh, I'm talking to a pastor. And they like hold their beer behind their back. And they're like, they're like trying to think how many times they cussed before they found out I was a pastor. And they like always try to find a way out of the conversation. It's just like, so that's the one part of my job that I'm not crazy about. And I don't know, we've, maybe we've got some pastors who are watching online, maybe some former pastors who are in the room who have experienced that. But I feel like we've all experienced something to the degree of that, which is like, when the, for those of us who are Christians who would say we follow Jesus, when people at work find out you're a Christian, it, it kind of changes everything. Like, it, it, it changes sometimes the way that they might treat you differently or they expect you to act differently, and sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's not a good thing, but, but it changes things. And so that's why Ben and I wanted to do this series called 90,000, a series that was dedicated to work. And if you haven't been here the last two weeks or you're new here for the first time, I just wanna say welcome. The reason we titled this series 90,000 is because that's the number of hours you're gonna spend at work over the whole course of your life. 90,000 hours at work. 
It's a quarter of the time that you're gonna spend awake. You're spending it at work. It's a massive chunk of time. And so what we know, because it's such a massive amount of time, that this matters to God, work matters to God. And today, we're gonna get really, really practical. If work matters to God, if what we do for work matters to God, then how we act at work, it probably matters to God too. Because let's face it, when, when people at work find out that you're a Christian, it, they're gonna make some assumptions about God based on what they see in you. Let me just illustrate this. Like for, for those of you all who have kids or young kids, every parent has experienced this to a degree, okay? Like when, when your kids are acting a lot like you, when your kids are doing the same things you would do, people might look at them and say, oh, they're, they're your spitting image. Like they, they're, they're your spitting image. They're just acting like you. And this, this is just a horrifying thought to any of the parents of young kids in the room because we know we have no control over what our kids do whatsoever. Like, we've got no control. Back when I was at the West Campus, uh, I was the West Campus pastor, and my son Gray came up to me, and he goes, hey, Dad, are you the boss of the church? And, like, anytime your kid asks you a question like that, you know, like, something's cooking, something's not right. And so I'm trying to dodge the question a little bit. And I was like, actually, buddy, um, Jesus is actually the head of the church. And I felt like that's a good dodge. It's theologically accurate, you know? Colossians talks about that. And Greg goes, no, 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 Dad, no. And I should be concerned by how passionately he was disagreeing with Jesus being the head of the church. So I, I get that, but he's like, no, Dad, I mean, flat irons, flat irons. Are you the boss of flat irons? And again, he gave me an out. So I was like, okay, good. Nobody. Uh, pastor Jim, you know Pastor Jim, Pop Pop, Jonas Pop Pop, he's the pastor of Flatirons. And he goes, no, Dad, Flatirons West Campus. Are you the boss of the West Campus? And he pinned me into a corner. And I was like, yeah, buddy, I'm the boss of the West Campus. I was like, why do you wanna know? And he goes, no reason. And he walks to kids' ministry. And so I walked upstairs. It's kind of an odd interaction to have with your son. I come back downstairs, and I've like gotten to the kids' room. I haven't even picked him up yet, and the teacher looks at me, and she goes, so I hear you're the boss of the West Campus. And I was like, what did he do? What did he do? And she goes, yeah, he told me you're the boss, and that because you're the boss, I should give him extra candy. And I was like, why, why would my son do this? And then I asked her for candy because I am the boss of the West Campus and I was hungry. And here's, here's the thing, Our, every parent has experienced that before where their kid's running around like doing whatever kids do and what they're doing reflects on our image. It reflects on our reputation and people are gonna make assumptions about our parenting, about our character based on how our kids act. And it's horrifying to parents, but that's because they're made in our image. And in the same way, the Bible says to people who follow Jesus that Christians are God's image bearers. We're made in God's image. And so there's this idea that people, they can look at what we do and then they can make some assumptions about who God is based on what they see in us. So Flatirons, how are we doing with that? I mean, when people at work see the way that you are, see the way that you act, see the way that they treat people, what would they think about God based on that? I mean, is God, does he care about the people around him? Is he kind? Is he generous? Is he hardworking? Is he forgiving and gracious? Or does he just do mediocre work? And he just doesn't have to get by, and he gets angry a lot, and he's selfish, and he's jealous a lot, and he can be mean. Here's the thing, how we act at work, it just matters because people are gonna look at the way that we act at work and they're gonna make assumptions about the God that we serve based on what, what they see. 
And most of the time for Christians, we don't, we don't really know what to do with this. And so we resort to just like, okay, I'm just gonna try whatever I, I can think of. And so we'll turn on K-Love or some like Christian radio station just loud enough in the office so that other people can hear it. Or we'll like wear these Christian t-shirts that are like in the image of the Heinz ketchup logo, only it says like ketchup with Jesus. And we're like, oh, or your coffee mug, it says all I need in the morning is Jesus and coffee. Or we eat at Chick-fil-A like three times a week, you know, because hey, we, we, we love Jesus, and then, or we'll put a fish on our van or our computer or our business card, and for those of you who have fishes on the back of your vans, like, most of the time that's not a good idea, okay? I don't have a fish on the back of my car specifically because I don't want the way that I drive to reflect on Jesus at all, okay? Like, that's a, that is a bad idea, and I see some of you guys drive too, so like, just think about that, all right? And I'm not, I'm not making fun of people who do those things. I'm not making fun of those things. Obviously, like you love Chick-fil-A. Obviously, you love good music. Obviously, you love good coffee because you love Jesus, you know? You love all things good. But here's the thing. These are the only things sometimes that we can think of when it comes to being a Christian in the workplace. Like, okay, I'll do these things and maybe that's what will show other people what Jesus is like or show other people that I'm a Christian. But I think all of us, we know that there's got to be a better way. And so today, so today, I wanna camp out on one question. We're gonna spend the rest of the time looking through this question. If we could do only one thing to reflect the image of God to our coworkers, to the people around us, and to the world, what would it be if we could only do one thing? And here's how the Bible responds. Be great at what you do. Be as good as you can possibly be at whatever it is you do. Take whatever skills, whatever abilities, whatever gifts God has given you and put those into being as great as you can possibly be. You thought I was gonna say something about being nicer to the people at work, right? Or like something about character or treating people better or being a better person at work. And trust me, like you hear me out, those, those things are so important. Like you can't be great at what you do and at the same time as a follower of Jesus, treat people horribly. It's not be great at whatever the cost. See, for people who follow Jesus, over time, our character should start to reflect his character. We should start treating people the way that Jesus treated people. It's not just about being great at what we do, whatever the cost. But here's the thing, we talk about that all the time around here. Like we talk about that all the time around here. So, so show up on Sundays and when you, when you miss it, watch online and then apply what you're learning and you'll hear about how your character can start to over time line up with the character of Jesus and you can become the kind of person that Jesus was. But I wanna take this week, then this series where we're talking specifically about work in the 90,000 hours that we're gonna spend there. And I wanna be crystal clear. When it comes to work in God's image, be great at what you do. Be great at what you do. I love how Ben opened the series. He opened the series with this thought. The first sentence in the Bible is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God got to work. And then we see that God creates everything that you and I, that we know and love. He creates mankind in his own image and we see that we were created in the image of a working God. And then a few verses later, God steps back after he's created. He, he surveys everything that he's created. And Genesis 1.31 says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. 
God steps back, surveys everything that he made, and goes, that's, that's so good. And you've had these moments too. Like you've had the moment when you've had the steak that's cooked just perfectly, right? And you like sit back, you lean back, you put your hands on your stomach, you're like, that was so good. Or like you watch a movie and it's got great directing, it's got great writing, it's got great acting, and you lean over to the person you're watching it with and you're like, wasn't that so good? Or like you watch the Broncos play football and you're like, man, that's so good. Kind of breaks down there, doesn't it, guys? You know, um, I, but you guys are getting the point. And just to be fair, you know, I believe in a turnaround um, as long as they win today. So no pressure, okay? So let's let's hope for that. But but here's the thing: when God creates, He doesn't just create okay. When God creates, He doesn't create good enough. When God surveys what He created, He doesn't step back and say, yeah, it's fine. No, God creates very good. God creates great. He's a God that when he does something, he does it with excellence. I mean, think about this. God could have created our world however he wanted to. He could have created a utilitarian, baseline, livable planet, and all that it has is what we need to survive, and that's it. But God didn't do that, because he knew lasagna is gonna be delicious, and so he like adds his finishing touches. He adds his personal flair to it. I mean, think about the mountains, okay? Just think about the mountains for a little bit. All right, I, when you walk outside today from one of our campuses, like look at the mountains. And if you're watching online, uh, sorry, like maybe move here. The mountains are beautiful. La- last year somebody like shouted out, last, last hour somebody shouted out, no! <laughs> so they're like, the traffic is too bad. So anyways, the mountains are not as cool as I'm about to make them out to be if you're watching online. So let's just, uh, <laughs> let's just go with this example though, okay? Like God didn't have to create mountains. He didn't have to create the world in a way that would form the mountains, he didn't. Could have created the world however he wanted to. It could have been pretty formless. It could have been just flat all the way around and that's it. We don't need mountains to survive, but he knew we'd enjoy them, so he creates the world that way. Or think about sunsets. Like, I, I, I don't, there, there's nothing like watching a sunset in Colorado. And, and I, I really have no idea, I'm not a scientist, I have no idea why the sunset looks as pretty as it does. Um, I, I've heard different theories. Uh, all I know is that it's just beautiful, and it didn't have to be. Like, God could have created it so that when the sun goes down beyond the horizon, it just goes from light to dark, just like that. But he knew that we'd appreciate sunsets, and so he creates the world that way. I mean, think about coffee. Like, I'm talking like great coffee, like Otis or Sweet Bloom or Corvus. The the coffee nerds in the room will understand what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. We don't need coffee to survive. Kind of. Uh, (laughs) We we don't need coffee. We we really don't need coffee to survive. But but it tastes delicious. Helps wake us up in the morning. Keeps me regular, you know? So... Ben told me we're doing poop jokes a series. I don't know about that, but that's the best stuff that I've got. At least Ben enjoyed that one, all right? <laughs> there, you can think about it. There are hundreds of things that we don't need to survive that we could do without, but when God created, he didn't just create good enough. He created great, and he invites us into creating with him, into working with him to move the creation project forward. It's tied in with what Ben said two weeks ago. God says, join me in making something great of this place. And if we're joining in with God to make something great of this place, in his image, would we do it poorly? 
answer this question for me. Which of these examples best reflects the image of God? Is it the Christian who shows up to work in a what would Jesus do shirt, does mediocre work and then slaps a fish on it, or the Christian who comes to work day after day and they crush it day after day, quietly, humbly, and when somebody notices that they're doing great work, they ask about it, they say, my great work is inspired by the great work of Jesus. Which one? Because I gotta tell you, if you're, if, if you're wearing a what would Jesus do shirt to work and you're doing mediocre work, that's simply not what Jesus would do. I mean, whatever Jesus would do, he would have done it with excellence. Whatever his craft was, he would have done it with excellence. He would have been the best boss. He would have been the best coworker. He would have been the best employee. He would have been great at all of those. I mean, think about it. For Jesus' first miracle in John chapter two, Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus did hundreds of miracles over the course of his ministry. And a lot of them, he's like helping people who don't have enough food, have enough food. He's helping people who can't walk, walk again. Uh, people who can't talk, talk again. He's ha- helping them have the basic necessities of life. But for Jesus's first miracle, he's not doing that. In the image of his father, he's, he's taking something that's good and he's adding to it and he's making it great. You see, Jesus is at this wedding in a really small town called Cana, maybe only had 100 people there. And at the wedding, the hosts of the wedding, they run out of wine at their wedding. And today, that would be a party foul, okay? Like running out of wine at a wedding. But like back then, that would, like the stigma of that would follow this couple around for the rest of their life. They would always be the couple that ran out of wine at their wedding. And so Jesus is gonna step in. And we pick up the story in John chapter two, verse six. It said, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them up to the brim. And then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. And this right here is why I love the Bible. Because you got the master of the banquet, he's amazed at the quality of the wine. He's like, usually the way you do it is like when the, when the party's just starting and people are paying attention, that's when you bring out the great stuff, okay? And when people have had too much to drink, another version said their senses are dulled, okay? Wink, wink. That's when you bring out the white claws, okay? That's when you bring out rolling rock, okay? That, that's just party 101, all right? But this guy's saying, you didn't do that. You brought out the best stuff last. And I, and I just gotta point this out too. Cana is a small, small town, 100 people maybe. So we got reason to believe this is a small, small wedding, maybe 100 people. And Jesus takes six jars that each hold 20 to 30 gallons each. So Jesus makes 150 gallons of wine for a wedding of 100 people. I know what you're thinking. Best wedding ever, okay? Like, that's the kind of wedding I need to get an invite to. Now, and here's the thing, Jesus, no doubt, Jesus is not intending people to get drunk on this wine. It's a message. When you need something from me, you're not getting just enough and you're not getting good enough. You're getting more than you need and you're getting the best that I have to offer. It's a message. 
And some of you all have experienced that too. At just the time where you're desperate, where you're like, somebody's got to step in and help. God provides, Jesus steps in, and he gives you more than you could have expected, more than you were thinking, because that's the type of work that Jesus does. After some of Jesus' other miracles, it said that the people were overwhelmed with amazement. They said, he has done everything well. When Jesus did something, he did it with excellence. When he partnered with God to make something great of this place, he did his best. He was great at what he did. Our God was great at his work. Our Savior was great at his work. And so for us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance for the Lord as your reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Ben introduced us to that verse last week. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And I don't know if you know this, but the Bible was originally written in other languages because it was written halfway around the world. And so the New Testament was written in Greek. And that phrase for all your heart, the original word for it was this word suke. So it's this Greek word suke. And this is the word that's the same use that was used when God breathed life into the very first man and woman what he breathed inside of them. It's the sum of everything that God put inside of them. And so what God's saying is he's saying whatever you do, whether it's plumbing or ticket sales or engineering or management or art, you take everything that I've put inside of you and you put it all in helping me make something great of this place. You're my workmanship. I created you on purpose for a purpose with very specific gifts and abilities. Now go leverage them to be the best that you can be. Because here's the thing, it, we're reflecting his greatness by the way that we do our work, but it's also not about that. Greatness is also magnetic. We're naturally drawn to greatness. We will even give greatness a platform that we typically wouldn't give to other people. I mean, think about this, okay? <clears throat> when, would, just, when would you take some 20-year-olds who have just finished one year of college, okay, and then they stop going to college, and you're gonna sit them at a table and then you're gonna surround them with reporters. And those reporters are gonna ask them a bunch of questions, but some of the questions are gonna to have to do with like uh, current affairs or culture or the city or politics, maybe religion, philosophy. You're gonna ask them all these questions, then you're gonna broadcast what they say all across the world. Would we, would we typically do that? Prob probably not. Unless they're professional athletes. And then we do that all the time. Because they're so great at what they do, it gives them a platform to talk about things that have nothing to do with what they do for work. And we do this with people who are great actors or actresses, great recording artists, with celebrities. And I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just reality. Our culture is attracted to greatness. And you've experienced this personally probably too. I mean, it's the, the high school freshman who's on the football team and the senior quarterback who's an all-star, all-state player, that freshman watches him. It's like, okay, how, how does he study? How does he prepare? How does he practice? What's he thinking about? He wants to know everything about what this senior who's great at what he does, does. He wants to know everything about it, find out all of his secrets. He's watching greatness on display, and he's listening, and he's taking notes. Or maybe your first job your, your first boss, she was just the most amazing boss. She had very high standards 
but she also was very kind to people at the same time. And you watched the way that she interacted with customers, with the, the people on the team, you just watched everything, and you wanted to be a great leader like she was one day too, and so you paid attention, and you watched her. And everything that she did, you're taking notes, and you're thinking about how to emulate that, all because she was great at what she did. And what if the same could be true for us too? I mean, what if you could apply yourself to your craft? You become the best realtor or the best barista or engineer, stay-at-home mom, athlete, student, leader. You become the very best at what you do as you can. In God's image, you become great at it. And then when people ask you how you got so good at what you do, you can tell them the truth. I mean, it starts with my faith. And now you have a platform to share your faith in an authentic and a genuine way, and you've got a captive audience who wants to listen to it because they're trying to figure out how to be great like you're great. I mean, how we act at work matters. We know this. But I wanna call something out in the room right now. There, there may still be a disconnect here. There may still be a disconnect because here's what I know and here's what you know. What you do for work is very different than what I do for work. What you do for work is very different than what Ben does for work. And we've heard from people like, being in the workplace is just different than working at a church. And I understand that. And Ben and I have been really diligent about asking people like, what, what does our church need to hear from the Bible about work? But at the same time, there are just some things that I can't speak to about what work looks like. Because when you work at a church, you just sit around all the time reading your Bible and thinking about Jesus and encouraging each other all day, you know? Uh, you're like, Jesse, if you did that, you would be a lot better person than you are. Like, I understand that my wife would say that. So here's what we wanted to do. We wanted to have time during this series where we had people from our church, various professions, uh, different campuses, different parts of town, and they're gonna actually come and talk about what it's like being a Christian in the workplace. And I want you guys to pay attention. We, we chose very specific people because they're from different professions, different stages in their career. And I think all of us have something to learn from this. So we want some time uh, to, to listen to these people and just to have a time where we can interview them. Will you welcome them to the stage real quick? Hi, guys. So why don't we start out and uh, just introduce yourself, uh, your name and what you do for work. I'm Alan Ginsborg, and I develop and own shopping centers. I'm Kate Manns, and I own a salon in Boulder that specializes in balayage. In balayage, you say that every hour, like people understand what balayage is. And uh, um, what, what's balayage, Kate? <laughs> it's a French style of hair painting. Hair painting. Yes. So yeah. hair, like kind of like highlights, hair dye. Kind of like highlights, natural highlights. Stuff that you could do on my hair, and it would, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not your typical cousin. <laughs> pass. Awesome. Janae. Yeah, I'm Janae Manning, and I'm a mom and baby nurse. All right. Uh, when when Ben when Ben talked last week about coming up with a mission statement for your work, I feel like doctors and nurses like have like one of the easiest ones. I serve people by keeping them alive, you know? Like I serve people by, they don't die when I do my job right. But like you were, you were telling me that you've, like the way you interact with your, the, the people, your patients, mm -hmm. you're really thinking about how would I as a Christian interact with them? Can you just share about that? Yeah, so I deal with moms right after they had babies and um, I know their history and diagnoses and their social history, what medications they're on. And so I already know like an intimate part of who they are. Mm -hmm. And so 
On top of that, I take, to, take them to the bathroom for the first time and they see their body that they don't even recognize and wow. it's just an intimate thing. And so for me, I try to also like put myself in those shoes and tell them about the times I had babies and things that were hard for me or the problems we went through and just to make it more real and intimate as well. So, so, so a lot of it is empathy, empathizing yes. with them. And yeah. you talked about like, you don't just like, as a Christian in the workplace, it's not like I pray for everybody, every one of my patients or anything like that, but you've, you, you've found a balance there. Will you just share that? Because I think that'll be helpful for a lot of people in the audience. Yeah, so I think there are some, some circumstances where that is appropriate and needed. Um, I had a mom who was, had, had some medical issues and she could not leave the hospital, but her baby had to be life flighted to a children's hospital. Oh, wow. And so that was a circumstance where I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. Um, a perfect time to pray with her and ask her if that was okay, so. So you're just paying attention to those opportunities and those times. Yeah. That's great, that's great. And then, Kate, your, uh, your balayage studio is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's in the middle of Boulder. Right. And, and so you're a Christian business owner in the middle of Boulder, which uh, isn't, too, I'm trying to. <laughs> I do love Boulder, you love Boulder. Just talk about right. that a little I bit, help Boulder. me out here. I right. have a heart for Boulder, I love the community. Right. Um, and we love being there, it, it's right at Ninth and Pearl. And we were pretty strategic about where we wanted to plan ourselves. Um, so we waited for about two years for the right spot to open up. And um, yeah, we really wanted to be this light, you know, downtown. Mm-hmm. That's great. And how does being a Christian business owner in Boulder, how does that affect the way that you just run your business? You know, I think it's a good accountability um, for me. I really want to do things with great integrity. Um, I want to treat my staff, uh, you know, with with the Jesus, our Jesus values is basically what we have. I don't, they're not, uh, I don't have Jesus in our values, but I mm-hmm. basically have the values for me and my staff and, and our company, they're basically Jesus values, which is to love well, you know, love with no strings attached, sure. um, serve, serve people as best as we can, serve each other, and uh, to seek to understand and to own our shortcomings, which is something I have to do often. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, because I can be a hypocrite even as a Christian, so I've sure. got to apologize when I make mistakes and um, own up to those. I think that that's something that everybody went with neighbors or family who aren't Christians, we wrestle with like, what happens when we don't live up to what we believe or, you you know, what does it look, how do people, how have people responded when you don't live up to what you say you wanna live up to and you you have to admit that you're wrong? How do they respond? Typically it's like I have to go personally to each one and be like, hey, I'm sorry, I wasn't a good leader then. Um, will you forgive me or I'm, I'm gonna do better next time? And I think it really breaks down a wall and mm. brings our team closer and, um, you know, it's helping, helping cultivate that uh, together mentality that, you know, we're all in this, the me too sure. mentality, yeah. That's great, that's great. And Alan, you've been in the workforce for a while. I, I guess, what, is it, what does it look like for you to be open about your faith in the workplace? You know, it's, it's not an agenda that I'm trying to push as much as it is a way that I try to live. Okay. And through my deeds and my actions and my responses to people. And that shows up in different ways. I mean, it can show up in being involved with uh, nonprofits and supporting them and 
and, and, and helping them and encouraging people to consider it, but not demanding it. Sure. Uh, it, can, uh, it can be in the way that uh, when things come up that are uh, cross the value line that, that I know to be what God would call me to do, being you know, gracious about just saying, no, that's not something I can do. Sure. And if somebody wants to know why, I'm happy to explain, but I'm not there to say, that's because in this verse it says, mm-hmm. that, that's, if it comes up naturally, great. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, kind of like what Kate was saying, you know, humility about my mistakes uh, being, and, and being gracious about others' mistakes because we're all gonna make mistakes along the way. And it's how we respond to those things that, that creates an indelible impression. Okay, that's great. Thanks. Um, Janae, when it comes to like being a good Christian coworker, mm-hmm. so I, I assume the people at work know, you know, a few of them know that you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. What does that look like to you? Like, how are you trying to be just a good Christian coworker? Yeah, um, I think a lot of Christians try to just show the good side of their life. Um, and I don't know why that is, except they feel like that's what. Christianity is about, um, but I think it's important to show, like, the like talk about like the financial issues, the marriage issues, your kids, like just be real in your relationships with your coworkers, um, and then along with that, just be a good coworker, carry the load, go above and beyond. Yeah. That's great. I love how you just say authenticity. You know, like yeah. just be normal, yes. right? Just be, yes. just be you. And you were telling me about. There's this time where you worked at a company and they were asking you to do something that violated what you believe was the right thing to do. And I'm sure that there are people in the room or watching online who are saying like, I've, I've got a boss who's asking me to do something that I feel like is unethical. How do I respond as a Christian? Can you just share that example with everybody? Yeah. Um, in my first job, I worked in a nursing home and um, I loved it. I was there for two years. I love my residents, but... At the same time, there's things going on, and one of the things that stuck out to us was um, they would diagnose some of the residents longer than they should with infection, and so they were getting they were paying for an extra private room instead of going back to their roommate. And so me and my husband had to sit down and have a conversation on like what that looked like, what did we need to do? And I ended up talking to my boss, and she said there was nothing I could do, and then her boss, and it was the same thing, like. It's basically about the money, and there's nothing we're gonna do about that. And so it came to the point where we had to decide that I had to look for a different job. And it's hard because it's not only a paycheck, but I had those relationships with those people for two years that I loved, and I felt like I was leaving them in the hands of like corruption. And so that was really hard. And actually, soon after I left, the FBI was involved, and (laughs) they ended up closing down some nursing homes, so. Sure. Yeah. I, I love that example because um, the way that you would have left that job would have reflected on Christians and would have re- reflected on God and would have reflected on you. And instead of just pulling the ripcord and saying mm-hmm. like, okay, they're asking me to do something that's wrong, so I'm out. You, you said, I'm gonna talk with my boss. I'm gonna talk with her mm-hmm. boss. I'm gonna have conversations with the right people. And it wasn't until you tried to make a change that you decided, okay, I've gotta step out. That's just great. Um, Kate, you are um, 
So I know you and your husband, Andy, um, you're a business owner, you're part of the church, you're a wife, you're a mom of four kids. Uh, you, like a lot of people here, have a lot of things going on. And I say like, okay, be great at everything that you do. And you're like, I'm doing a lot of things right now. You know, how, right, how do you balance all those things together? Um, I th there's not really a balance. You know, I've gotta give myself grace and, um, and I'm gonna know I'm gonna fail humble myself every day, I know I'm gonna fail at something, but um, yeah, I have a mission in mind, and so I think, um, you know, having that daily time with, with the Lord um, in the morning, I think is imperative to how I uh, can get through the day. And I can tell if it's been a few days, I feel it. Um, mm -hmm. So I really need that time with the Holy Spirit to help guide me through my day and, and really be the forefront in my mind when, when I have thoughts, you know, like, why am I doing this, um, which happens weekly, you know, sure. I, I have that really rough day where I, I almost want to throw in the towel, like, why am I doing this whole thing? And I have to replace that lie that's planted in my head with the truth of I have you exactly where you're supposed to be or the lie that comes in, like, you're not a good mom, you should be on that field trip, you know, and sure. and then replace that lie with your kids know that um, that you put them first, you know, mm. and so same, it's just that practice of constantly trying to replace the, the lies with the truth that I know God has planted in my heart, you know, because the mom guilt is a real thing. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I know a lot of us feel that, you know, working moms, it's, it's hard and it can be a, a tough world out there for, yeah. for us, but sticking together, and I've got a great small group here that I can reach out to and ask for prayer, and you know, we're doing this together, yeah. That's, that's great, thanks. Mm -hmm. And then, Alan, uh, over the course of your career, you've had like employees, you've worked with a lot of people. Can you just describe what a great Christian employee looks like? Yeah, basically like a great employee who's not a Christian. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, and uh, that means that to me, uh, it's somebody who is uh, committed to what they're doing and they wanna be part of a team and see a team grow. They're not as focused on their individual success as they are the success of uh, the team. That, uh, you know, they're willing to speak uh, freely about what they think the right alternatives are when you're trying to make a decision uh, for reasons that they've thought out rather than sure. just emotion. Sure. And, uh, they, uh, they don't repeat second-hand information. Okay. So often uh, in, in, in the world, we, we, we get what's called gossip in the Bible, sure, and that just sure. throws everything off. Oh, man. And so having that kind of a culture is really, really important. Wow, wow. No, that's, that's great. And you're, you've been in the workplace for yeah. a while. I don't know, a, a few decade, decades. Decade okay, decade I don't want to yeah, age yeah. you or have you tell. A couple of decades. A couple of decades. We're not necking that. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been, um, you've been through a lot. If you look back on people who are just starting out their career or people who are um, just within the first few years of their career, what advice would you have for them? You know, play the long game. You know, it's not about taking shortcuts to advance. It's about looking at, one, what has God called me to do? And then how do I apply that every step of the way? Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna make mistakes, I'm gonna fail, uh, you know, things are gonna change in my career. And if I respond with a consistent movement forward, like, oh, hey, I learned from that, I'm gonna go here. Sure. Okay, that worked, that's good, I'm gonna keep doing that. Boom, mm -hmm. boom, boom. And pretty soon it's the, the repetition of thousands of steps. 
All right. uh, over those 90,000 hours. Okay, yeah. Maybe millions. Sure. And, uh, but it adds up to something that you look back on and go, wow, that worked out. Mm. And uh, so I think that's really important. And then surround yourself with people you can trust and especially try to find a mentor. Somebody who hopefully shares your beliefs, but it may not always work that way, but somebody you respect that you can, you know, saddle up next to and say, you know, hey, how did you deal with this situation? Hopefully they're ahead of you. They don't have to be doing even the same exact thing, but, you know, they're in, they're in your field. They can relate to what you're dealing with. Okay. And I, I would assume people in the room are like, okay, having a mentor sounds like a good thing. How do I go about finding a mentor? You know, what advice would you give us to find a mentor? Uh, watch the people around you. Watch the people you work with. Uh, they may not even be at your company. But when you, when you see somebody, then you go, I was really impressed at the way they conducted themselves there, or that was a tense situation, and they, they handled it so well. And then watch them some more, and then just get to know them. And, and, and you'll find that the people who are open to mentoring are often the people that are most concerned about growing others. Mm-hmm. And so, we, and, and for some reason, a lot of times they, they do really well. So look for those kind of people that stand out and, and then just take the chance and, you know, build that relationship. That's great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, guys, as we're wrapping up, just any closing words you want to share with our church, with these people about just being a Christian in the, the workplace? Any closing words? Jenny, yeah. let's start with you. Um, at the end of the day, no matter what job or occupation you're in, it's about relationships and loving people well and using Jesus as an example of that. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Um, I would say just, you know, we can all get complacent. It happens to everyone, but really trying to put yourself in that learning posture and even if it's at a front desk position, but um, try to use it as an opportunity to to build character and, um, you know, and, and work with those difficult people that come in your life that, you know, that it's going to test you and that's just an opportunity to strengthen, strengthen your core. Sure. That's yeah. great. Thanks. Alan? Uh, when you own a business, you, making a profit is essential to be successful in the business and, and do the right thing by everybody who works there. But it's not about the money. Uh, mm. When we focus on the people and relationships and the way we're touching them and the way we grow relationships, it seems like everything else will fall into place. So, you know, stay focused on the people and the relationships. That's great. Guys, thank you so much. Will you guys just give it up one more time for for them? Thank you. So as we close up today, I... I want to just tell you briefly about one of the greatest composers in history. Like, that's a left turn. Just keep on, keep on walking with me here. Some would argue this is the greatest composer in history. It's a man named Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, he composed over 1,000 songs, maybe, I think it was like 1,150 songs. Some of the songs that he wrote are widely considered some of the greatest songs ever written. So he's like the 18th century version of Nickelback. And so I don't care if people laugh at that joke. It just, may, it just brings me joy to say that. That's just fun for me. Um, Bach was so good at what he did. He was so good, widely considered one of the greatest. And on every piece of music that he composed, before he wrote his own signature, he wrote three letters. S-D-G. 
Those letters, they stand for the Latin words soli deo gloria. That means glory to God alone. So before you read who wrote the song, you read SDG, because that song was inspired by God. That song was written for God, glory to God alone, soli deo gloria. And there was this time where if you needed something great, you, you, you called the Christians. There was this time in history, if you needed something great, if you wanted something great, you called the Christians. Composers, artists, educators, scientists, activists, architects, if you need to do something great, then call the Christians. I mean, you got Bach, Handel, Gropner, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Rembrandt, Yale, Princeton, Brown, William, and Mary, all started by Christians with the founding purpose that the main end of life and the main end of studies is to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Or you got Galileo, you got Copernicus, you got Pascal, you got Newton, Wilberforce, Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr. And the architecture, okay, the architecture. If you've ever been to Europe and you've gone to a cathedral in Europe, you know what I'm talking about. I went there earlier this year and we walk into this cathedral that's like a thousand years old and you look at how they like, it's just overwhelming to see so much design in this space. And you'll watch like they've got these columns that they'll like carve, the, like make these intricate carvings all the way up the column and like all the way up 50 feet into the, like 50 feet into the structure, all the way at the top in these places that nobody's ever gonna see. They still spent hours and hours and hours on these carvings up there. And why, why would somebody spend all this time on something that nobody's gonna see? And that sculptor would say, because God sees it. I, I didn't do this for men, I did it for God. It's what Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Soli Deo Gloria. Now I want you to imagine our church, Flatirons Church, is known for a lot of things in the community. Some of them good, some of them not so good. But what if we were known for some of these things, okay? Imagine if, what if when employers were looking for employees, they specifically looked for Christians? Because they knew that Christians always worked hard to make the team better. They always make the team better. What if when people are deciding to make a job change, one of the deciding factors is, am I gonna go work for a Christian boss? because Christians are known widely as the best leaders. What if Christians began not just imitating the best music and video and art of today, but what if we started setting the standard for what artistic expression looks like? What if when a development needs an architect, they say, call the Christians. What if when a city needs an engineer, call the Christians. What if when a, a school needs a teacher, call the Christians, because they knew if you're getting a Christian, you're getting someone great. And then the recognition that's gonna come from that, it's not about us, it's not about Jesse, it's not our name, it's, it isn't Flatirons, it isn't our church, it's Christians, it's followers of Jesus. It's something about these people who say they're modeling their lives after Jesus. It's, it's about Jesus, it's about him, soli deo gloria. And greatness that we've talked about all day, greatness is so much bigger than personal fame. It's so much bigger than acquisition. It's so much bigger than success. Your, your life, your work, and your career are so much more meaningful than that. It was never meant to point back to you. Your work is too meaningful to just point back to you. And we are too small to be the focus of all the work that God created for us to do. You see, the focus is not on the worker. The focus is on the work. 
that we're partnering with God to move the creation project forward. We're partnering with him to make something great of this place. And we didn't start it, and we probably won't finish it, but we do great work in the image of a great God. He made us in his image, and everything that we do points back to him. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. So God, as we get ready to worship you, we're gonna... We're gonna try to put that into practice. God, the, the way that we wanna live our lives, God, the way that we wanna interact with our families, the way that we wanna be at work, God, we wanna be good at what we do because we're made in your image, and God, you're so good, you're great. And God, you breathe life into us. You put who we are inside of us, and God, we wanna leverage all of that to be as great as we can be, but not for our fame, not for our glory, but for your glory alone, soli deo gloria. So God, as we worship you in this moment, we're just practicing what does it look like to take everything that we have, everything you breathed inside of us, and point it back to you. You're such a great God. During this time, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. It's in the great name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.